All right. Hello and welcome everyone to another InventRight live stream, a full hour of question and answer. My name is Andrew Krause. I'm one of the co-founders here at InventRight. Our other co-founder is Stephen Key. And together, along with our all our coaches, we've been coaching and mentoring inventors for the last 23 years. And we've had students in over 65 countries. And what we do is we guide people to license their products, which is a really cool business model if you're not familiar with it. You don't need to file a patent. You don't need to start a business. You don't need to hire employees. You don't need to raise money. You don't need to do any of that. Um, when you're licensing, you can file a provisional patent. Um, you don't need to raise funds because the company you license the product to, it's their funds. You don't need to hire employees because it's their employees. You don't need to get distribution. Retailers don't want to give you. They don't want to talk to a one product company, but they'll talk to that big, huge company that you license to with 500, 1,000, 2,000 products. So what you're doing is you're tapping into this machine, this very large company that has incredible distribution, logistics, and everything else, and you can focus on your creativity. Now. With that said, you can't just come up with an idea and then all that will magically happen. So you, there's a process for reaching out to companies. What do you send? How do you protect yourself? How do you negotiate? How do you figure out who the potential licensees are? All that sort of thing. That's what we specialize in. So we specialize in turning you from an amateur inventor, somebody that just comes up with ideas, into a pro inventor, one that reaches out to companies and, and licenses products and receives royalties. So that's what we're all about. Um, let's see, let's jump in here. I don't really want to answer Voyage Travels question because they're asking how much our course was. I don't want to like jump right in. That's the first question and talk about our program. But um, we have, uh, I'll do it anyway because it's the first question and then I won't remember to come on back to it. So don't, I'm only answering it because they're asking. I'm not doing a shameless pitch for products because that's not how we are when we do these free live streams. But um, we have our premium program. We have our academy program, and now we have a, a four to six week program too. Um, that's nine sessions, shorter program. We have an even shorter one. We have a kickstart, which is one 60 minute session too. Um, but when you see all our students licensing stuff, the vast majority of those folks, they've done our premium program. So that's the most expensive, 3,500. It um, includes a ton of stuff like cell sheet, virtual prototype, software to file a PPA, all sorts of bridging the gap, meeting with your coach every week, our negotiation coach on call, it includes a lot. And then we got our group coaching program, Academy, that's about $1,500. And then we got our four to six week program, which is about $1,300. And then we got um, the one session, 60 minute, which is like $300. And then we have um, our new program, which is just our, our training um, solution, which is um, all our trainings, our 10 step system, which is like $29 a month. And then we have stuff like this, which is free. And our YouTube show, which is free. So you asked, who was asked? Voyage Travel asked, so I answered. But if you're not sure, you know, go on InventRight, click on Contact Us, and talk to Sylvia or Dana. They're super friendly, and they'll talk to you about all your different options and stuff. And they won't hound you or anything like that. That's not the InventRight way. Um, all right, let's jump into the questions. Uh, Mark is here. How do you improve upon an existing product without worrying about infringement? So this is a question we get pretty often, guys. First of all, why do you think you're infringing? Most products don't have patents. So if it doesn't have a patent and you did something kind of the way they did it, then you're not infringing. So there's this grandiose feeling that, or this weird, it's not grandiose, it's, um, it's this weird thought process that all products have patents, not even remotely. I mean, there's some companies that are huge, have great distribution, they're like, we don't do patents. We'll just crush the competition with our distribution. Not everybody is filing patents on every product. So the perception that you're worried about infringing because you're using some feature that some other product has is not something you should really typically uh, worry about very often. Now, if they have a patent and you're and they're not patenting the product. I always like saying it this way. Patent attorneys wouldn't say it this way. I'm going to say it this way because people understand it when I say it this way. When you get a patent on something, you don't patent the product. Nope, that's not what you do. You're patenting pieces of it that have functionality and utility. You can't just go, oh, this uh, with this uh, bottle that has a patent on it, so I can't do that. Well, if you took a look at the patent, maybe they just covered this hinge mechanism or something, right? And they just covered one piece of it, so it didn't mean you couldn't use another piece of it. So to answer your question very specifically, Marcus, 
Um, most products don't have patents. If they do have a patent and you're concerned about it, look up the patent. Quite often it'll be right on there. If it's not on the product, you can look up, you can do a search based on the company's name. You can go to the company's website and then, you know, maybe they might be doing business under a slightly different name. Then you search for that on Google patents and, oh, they don't have any patents or they have three, but oh, not on the product I'm looking at. Oh, oh wait, they do have a patent on this particular product. Now, if they just put the patent number right on the product, just look up the patent number, that's easier. But then you, you look up the, the patent and then you read through the claims. And a lot of times you'll realize this isn't a problem. I could do something kind of similar because they're just doing this hook or they're just doing this or they're just doing that. So um, don't think that because you look at a product and it says patented or patent pending, that it means it's patenting the entire thing and every piece of it. Another piece of advice to simplify things for you, if you see, let's say it's a barbecue spatula, I give that example way too often, but let's say it has some notches on it a certain way, okay, to clean the grape. And you notice there's 10 companies making barbecue spatulas with that feature. You probably don't have to worry about that. I'm not saying you don't. Anything I share with you today should not be considered legal advice. I'm going to take my stupid Apple watch off. It just keeps beeping at me. It drives me nuts. Um, so uh, now I got distracted by my Apple watch. I didn't realize what I was talking about there. Um, so don't don't think just because a product says it has a patent on it that you're patenting the whole thing. Okay. Um, and, you know, I've never... I've never had a student of ours come back and go, I'm, I'm, I'm in this difficult position where I'm infringing. Like, I can't think of a single instance of that. I really can't. Also, don't make a patent search your, your first search. Always make a market search your first search because what is or isn't in the marketplace tells you a lot. It tells you what's selling. That's what's really important. What is or isn't patented is very unimportant compared to that because all of what is or isn't patented tells you is somebody threw a bunch of money at an attorney to pay for their kid's college education. Doesn't mean the product makes sense. Doesn't mean it's manufacturable. Doesn't mean it's manufacturable at a reasonable price. Doesn't mean people would want it. Okay. Don't think that a patent validates anything except for the fact that they have a patent, okay? Um, and then, like I said earlier, you need to look into the specifics of it. What are they really protecting here? And most people do a pretty piss poor job with patents, inventors and companies. So most of the time you can work around it. And people are, oh, but people work around me, Andrew. Well, don't, don't do a piss poor job of filing a provisional patent or a patent. Think about the variations, workarounds, and improvements and include them. And then you'll be doing a much better job than most inventors. Okay, um, Tony, Tony, don't get all political on me. You're a regular. Andrew, Andrew Krauss, making Mondays great again. Thanks for always being here for us. Okay, whatever. <laughs> We're not getting political on here, people. Um, but that is kind of funny. Anyway, um, let's see. Wade, uh, hey, everyone. Happy to be here with y'all. Yeah, thank you, Wade. Why Wade is on here, I don't know, because he's a pretty experienced um, student. Yeah, he's an event rights student. He's really kicking some butt. Um, uh, Mysterious Me says that's her handle. Will it be better to have a trademark name and logo before a patent? Um, logos are very unimportant, guys. Um, I've seen so many people do sell sheets where it's like they made their logo for their company or the product like more important than the product itself. It's like this big ass logo, it takes up a quarter of the page. I'm like, please don't, don't, don't do that. Um, not saying you can't have a logo. I would say most of the time it's not necessary. If you got a clever logo that goes along with the product, maybe it's the um, logo and the name all integrated together like a word mark or something. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. The trademark, most of our students, again, everything I share with you today is not legal advice. Please consult your attorney if you're looking for legal advice. But a trademark, most of our students, there's two types of trademarks. There's a common law trademark. There's the TM with a circle around it. The event right's been around 23 years. I think only, I think only about four years ago, it was even less, did we file a registered trademark. So for like 19 years, we didn't bother filing a trademark because we're using the name in commerce, InventRight, right? So when you use the name in commerce, that's when your trademark's um, strength is, is strengthened, okay? With trademarks, 
you can't do the same thing you can do with patents. A patent, you can file something, and you could send somebody a cease and desist or threaten to sue them or whatever. Hey, you're infringing my patent. I'm not doing it, but I filed a patent on it. You can't do it. Slap them around a little bit, right? You can do that. I don't recommend doing that, but you can do that. You can't do that with the trademark. You have to use it in commerce. You have to sell a product with that. And so we had, when we filed our trademark, I'm guessing it was four years ago. I don't even remember. I think it was less, but let's say it's four years ago. So for 19 years, we put the TM with a circle around it. Now, if somebody else came out and they used the name InventRight with regards to invention coaching or licensing or inventing, we would kick their butt. We would show the track history of 19 years and and we wouldn't even have to file a registered trademark. Now, it's been so long, we decided to finally go ahead and register our trademark, okay? So, but what our students do is, you know, you're trying to license it. And a lot of times they're not gonna want your name. I'm sorry, but it's true. Sometimes they want it, sometimes they don't. As long as the check is in your name, you should be okay with them changing the name. Don't do licensing if you're not willing to change the name of a product or they want to make a pink and you make it purple and you're going to get an argument about it. If you want 100% control, risk all your money, dump your day job, spend 40 to 60 hours a week starting a business and trying to sell your product, then you can name whatever the hell you want. You can make it whatever color you want. And, and don't get me wrong, when you're negotiating, you can negotiate whatever you want with a license agreement. But if they sense you're going to be so hypersensitive and want to be involved in every little decision, you're probably going to kill the deal. They're going to go, this guy, love the product. This guy's a pain in the butt. We're going to pass. Okay. So don't do that. Um, so nine times out of 10, you know, a lot of times they're going to change the name. Now we have plenty of our students that have licensed products and they like the name. Um, but so to, to do a common law trademark, the TM with the circle around it, that's free. What do you have to do? All you have to do is put your name on your sell sheet of their product, put the TM and the circle around it, you're done, okay? Now, remember I said before that you have to use a product in commerce for the trademark to really take effect? That's true with both registered trademarks, the R with the circle around it when you pay the patent office to register it, and the common law trademark. It's true of both. But it's kind of like you're putting them on notice with the TM, with the circle around the common law trademark, you intend on using it. And the register mark, does that offer you some additional protection? Yes. Is it worth spending $1,500 on when you don't even know if they're interested in the product? I don't think so. Has it ever bit one of our students in the butt? No, not in 23 years. Could it? Maybe. Um, but, you know, you want to see if they're interested in the product. And again, this is not legal advice, so talk to your attorney if you want legal advice. Why would you spend that kind of money? Inventors are notorious for feeling like if they spend money on something that it validates it. Like throwing money to a patent attorney, getting a patent doesn't validate your idea. Okay. Getting a trademark doesn't validate your idea. Spending a bunch of spending a five grand with a prototyper doesn't validate your idea. People like just throwing all this money out, going, Oh, I got all these people working for me, but what you're doing is you're wasting your money. You're, you're spending money that you don't need to, which is decreasing either your ability or your spouse keeping you from spending more money on your second and third and fourth invention. Don't think every invention, every single invention you ever work on, the greatest inventors in the world did not license every single invention they work on. That's why you want to reduce, reduce your costs. Now, by reducing those costs with patents and trademarks and prototypes, you're not risking you, you don't want to present them something that looks ridiculous. So having a good sell sheet and a good virtual prototype, or maybe you cobbled something together and it looks good enough, put in a sell sheet, fine. And I'm not saying you never spend money on a patent or a prototype or a trademark. I'm not saying that. But the vast majority of the time, you don't have to. So um, no, you don't go and get a trademark and a logo before a patent. Um, I don't think you need a logo 99% of the time. You need a sell sheet and a virtual prototype or a prototype if you can make one. Um, you don't need a trademark. I just go with the common law trademark. Don't like a, move forward with licensing assuming that you are going to license it, okay? Or assuming, more importantly, you aren't gonna make a change. So if you spend $1,500 on a trademark and they don't like the name, well, you just wasted $1,500. You're assuming that they will like the name. They might not. Most of the time they don't. A lot of the time they don't. So you got to get real with that. 
Um, and by saying all these things, we're doing you guys a huge favor. People get a false sense of moving forward by throwing money at their idea. And all it is is throwing money at your idea. What you're truly selling is the benefit of your product, not a patent, not a prototype. How do you relay the benefit of your product with a sell sheet or video sell sheet and a virtual prototype? Or if you can cobble together a prototype on your own, fine. And I'm not saying you might you might pay somebody 200 bucks to cut something. I was talking to one of our students the other day and she's like, well, you know, I spent 100 bucks on this prototype because I have somebody laser cut something for me. I'm like, OK, cool. You know, so when we when Stephen or myself make statements about how to approach something, we're not saying it's applicable 100% of the time, but it's applicable the majority of the time. So it's not like this black or white thing. It's kind of funny, and this doesn't happen often at all, but sometimes you get people that watch us on YouTube and they read our books and stuff, and 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 then they, they have an InventRight coach, and our students love their coaches, you know, their coach. Um, but occasionally we'll get a student that's like, no, 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 saying to their coach, Andrew said this on the show. I'm like, and this coach is like, yes, I know. And that's true most of the time, but it's not true here. And, and most of the time they're okay with that. And they're like, oh, okay. And they tell them why. And we have a few stubborn students where I have to actually talk to them. And I have to say the same thing the coach said. And I have to say, nope, the coach is right. That is true most of the time, but I'm looking at your product. It's not true for your product. And this is why I go this in this direction. Your coach is absolutely right. It, it's happened so, so rarely, but it happens once in a while. But that's why I just wanted to tell that story so that you guys, you guys may or may never be an event rights student, or you may become an event rights student. Um, don't think that whatever I say today or when you watch our videos, it always applies 100% of the time to every invention. It doesn't. But most of the stuff we're saying does apply most of the time. Um, all right, uh, da, da, da. Uh, Rafe Lonver, okay, is their handle. Uh, hi, Andrew, thank you for taking the time out to answer your question. Should royalties be calculated on gross or net sales? Um, if calculated on net sales, should you allow it to be calculated with other expenses other than actual cost of goods? Okay, so this is something when our negotiation coach gets a contract, and it's very, very important on how you define net. OK, so most of the time you're getting the royalty rate on the price of the product that the, your, the company sells, the company that you license to, that sells to the retailer for. So if they're um, if they're selling it to Walmart for ten dollars, you're getting your royalty on that. OK, but now how do you define net? So there's obvious things for defining net. Like um, if they get returns. OK, why should you get a royalty on a product that was returned? OK, but they start if they start getting fancy with it, which we see, I don't know, I would say 90 to 95 percent of the time when Paul, our negotiation coach, helps our students, we need to redefine what they set up as net. They put things in there like you know, spending money for the Walmart advertising circular or other things or it's like it's like stated where it's gray. And it's like, well, what does that mean? And we ask them, well, what does that mean? What does that mean to you? Well, we can't have that, you know, because you're not defining it. Um, don't feel like they're trying to screw you or whatever. Their attorney put it in there. It's just a negotiation thing. Um, but usually it's 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 net, but it's there's you got to define net. And it's usually very few things should be taken out, okay? Because if they get creative with it, your royalties can go to zero. You know, and so that's why you should never like just sign a licensing agreement like almost ever. Um, we've never had an agreement where we got it and the student said, OK, here's the agreement they sent me. And we're like, oh, this is good to sign. Like never, 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 never. I have talked to inventors that outside of invent, right, that said I signed a license. And usually the inventors I talk to, they're like, oh, they haven't done anything with it for three years. I'm like, you didn't, you didn't read the stupid agreement. Like, what about this and that? They could tell me anything that's in the contract. Like, they are clueless. And then, and then I asked, talked to some of those same inventors. I'm like, well, where does the company sell? And they're like, uh, I'm like, what? You licensed to a company? You don't know where they sell? Are you freaking kidding me? It's like, so, so never ever just sign a licensing agreement. Never ever get into a deal without knowing specifically what their plan of action is, and you're holding them to it in the licensing agreement. All right. So um, so basically what it comes down to, Rafe, is, you know, you, you need to define net, you know. Now, sometimes 
um, if they sell direct to consumers, you might be getting that royalty on the full retail price. But the reason why most of the time with most retailers, if they're selling um, to, uh, to distributors or to retailers, because that's trackable. The amount they sold to Walmart for, the amount they sold to Home Depot for, you cannot possibly track like with clearance and discounts and sales. You can't, you can't figure out what it was actually sold for at retail. You know, if they sold it to retail and the retailer later sold it, you shouldn't, there's no way you could keep track of that. But when they sell directly, if they sell on their own site or if they're selling on Amazon, then you need to negotiate. You might negotiate two different rates. I've, I've seen us get away with the same rate where they're earning almost like double on the retail sales. It's like, whoa, you guys didn't think about that. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it's all about how you define that. Be very, very careful. Um, never just sign a contract without fully understanding how net is defined. Otherwise, they can get your royalties down to zero. I'm not, now I'm not saying, um, who is this idiot on here that's, uh, let me report as spam. Add monitor report. Here we go. What do I need to do? Unwanted pornography, I guess. So there you go. Report. Okay. All right. I kick their butt out of there, I guess. Um, let me report it again. Yeah, that's the first time I've got a spammer on uh, on a live stream. We get them on other other ways. There we go. Okay, I I blocked them. Um, did the, the next one. Michael said, "Have you heard of?" And he mentions an invention promotion company. If so, would you recommend them? Michael, I cannot rec. I cannot talk about invention promotion companies i don't have anything to say positive about them whatsoever neither does the federal trade commission or the patent office i'm not talking about any company in particular i'm talking about invention promotion companies in general but i i, I have nothing to say about any invention promotion company here um all as i can say is generally um, Sylvia or Dana, who do sales for us, we call them advisors, but they're doing sales, but they're super friendly. Um, we talk to somebody every day, every other day that has spent 10 or 12 grand with nothing to show, like a year ago, 10 years ago, what have you. Now, what we do with our students is we say, you need to do work. Some inventors don't want to do that. So you need to give an idea and not do any work to reach out to companies to license it. Um, it's a fraction of the work of starting a business. You're in for a world of hurt. You're just going to be one of those inventors that files patents and makes prototypes and never reaches out to the companies that can license them. Or if you do, you reach out with terrible marketing materials to like two or three companies. Okay. Um, so I've personally never met an inventor that has licensed a product with an invention promotion company in 23 years of doing InventRight and in 14 years of ran my inventor association. If you look at our testimonial page, our students are licensing stuff all the time. Why? because they actually do the work. That's why. Um, so I'm very proud of our students and our coaches. And, you know, I don't want to help people that don't want to help themselves. I don't want to people, help people that want to make a million dollars overnight with no effort at all. That's not us. That's not InventRight. That's some other shyster selling you some course on the internet. Um, that's not us. Um, Mike said the smart IP software for $99, that's on our site. If you go to InventRight, you can buy our smart IP software, which will guide you to file a provisional patent. Um, it's that the one on our site for $99 is uh, one-time use for one PPA. The one we give our students is unlimited use while you're a student. So that's the difference. They were asking a question, can you file multiple PPAs? Now, if you're smart about it, Mike, you can take your time with it. You can keep that in there for as long as you like. You'll get the gist of it. And if you file one with Smart IP, you're probably like, oh, I kind of got this. Now, it's nice to go in there with another product and then you can select the category and stuff. But you could probably, if you're smart, you could probably kind of go, okay, I get the gist of it. Maybe I can do that myself next time. But it's nice for students to get unlimited use because then they can do another product. Maybe it's a different type of product and they can select these different templates and things. So it's kind of nice. Uh, Hill Dog said, hello, Andrew. Hello. Hill Dog's a regular. Um, Serious Me said, thanks. Good to know. You're welcome. Uh, Miss V, hi, Andrew. If a marketing manager says their company does not embrace open innovation, but they're willing to take a look at your material, should you send your material 
Should you send an NDA? Okay. The marketing manager says their company does not embrace open innovation. Okay. So open innovation, well, first of all, some marketing, a lot of marketing managers don't know what the hell that means. But open innovation just means that companies are open to receiving your ideas from the outside. Okay. And if you say, do you embrace open innovation? Marketing manager will go, huh? I don't know what you're saying. Some of them, smart ones, savvy ones might, but other ones might go, you know, they're just really good at looking at products and stuff. They might not know what that means. So I wouldn't necessarily approach them like that. Um, but so they said they do not, their company does not embrace open innovation, but they're willing to take a look at your material. Should you send your material? I, I don't know. I wouldn't, I don't think you're stating it the right way. What I would ask them, has your company ever licensed a product before? You know? Um, so I think it's okay to send materials, but realize with the NDA situation, the non-disclosure agreement, um, you're going to feel like you're beating your head up against brick wall if you insist every company sign your NDA. And that's not legal advice. That's just, I'm just telling you what, what I've seen over the years. Our students file a provisional patent. And if a company says, yes, yeah, send it over. If a marketing manager says, send it over to them. That's the way our students approach it, but you need to consult your attorney to decide what you want to do. Attorneys, if you get, talk to a patent attorney, I don't, I don't know of a single one that's licensed anything. So they will give you paranoid legal advice, which is their job to do, because that's what attorneys do. They look at worst case scenario and they tell you to do things that aren't necessarily practical in the real business world, such as asking every potential licensee to sign a non-disclosure agreement. That you're gonna you're gonna have a bloody forehead. You're gonna feel like you're beating your head up against a brick wall. Um, but that was the smaller part of your question, Miss um, V. I, I I think I would ask them: Are you if if you were interested in my product, might you be open to licensing? If that's what I would ask. Um, okay. Let's see what else we got here. Letta, what should be the first thing in getting in getting a provisional? Does the year start upon submission when to pitch? Okay. So, yeah, you've got a year from the time you file that provisional patent to say patent pending for an entire year. So the thing is, people get excited, and this is fine. They get excited about the provisional patent, and they just want to file it. Okay. But then if they don't know how to reach out to companies, if they don't know how to make a sell sheet, if they don't know how to uh, figure out who companies to, to license to, if they don't know how to reach out on LinkedIn and email on the phone to reach out, the year just runs out because they're sitting on their hands. They file the provisional. Oh, I get the warm and fuzzies that I'm all protected and or whatever potential protection because you have to later file a full utility and repress that provisional to get the original provisional filing date. Um, but if you it, it's kind of a waste if you're not going to reach out during that year, right? And really, ideally, this is the ideal scenario. You know how you know how to reach out to companies. You know how to make a sell sheet. You file your provisional, and the next day or the next week, you're reaching out to companies. You've got a whole freaking year. You don't need more than a year to reach out to companies. My God. Um, so that's the ideal scenario. So it starts upon when you submit your provisional. Now, a lot of people think like, oh, then a year runs out. Now I'm screwed. I can never patent my product again. No, that's not true. Now, if you made public disclosure, you put it up on a website, sold it at a swap meet, something like that, then you start that one year on bar rule from ticking. But if you haven't made public disclosure and you just sat on your hands, just file it again. Now you won't get from the original provisional, you get your new date a year out from that. Provisionals are not connected to each other. Provisionals can be filed and you can file a full utility, which is a patent, which is expensive, and reference that provisional. You have to do it within the year that you filed a provisional. Then you can preserve that filing date, but you can't you know, continue a provisional on except for filing a full utility patent. You'd have to file another provisional. But you can't do that if you've made public disclosure and more than a year has passed. So, but most people don't consider privately showing it for license fee, email, public disclosure, but selling it at a swap meet, putting it up on a public YouTube video, something like that, that would definitely be public disclosure. Okay. Um, let's see. Can you give me an example of how to create a list of companies to call? Well, one of the, one of the things that you, you need to do is people, I'll give you some limiting beliefs that people have. People think like, um, let's say, so this is a little magnetic wallet that goes on a, a cell phone, it sticks on there, and then it I, I have my credit card there and stuff like that. So let's say you decide, well, this is a wallet. I can only reach out to companies selling wallets. Well, you could reach out to companies selling other gadgets and gizmos. The, this thing like it sticks to the 
to my iPhone. Um, other gadgets and gizmos for, for iPhone. That's just a random example. It happened to be lying on my desk, right? So they might be like, well, we, we never made a wallet before, but we make other things for iPhones. So they could do that. So people think like, oh, I can only license to people making more or less very much the same thing. When they could basically be selling products that are in the same shelf or in the same category if it's online. And that's usually okay. All right. Now, you're not going to get a company making bicycle products and say, hey, you should sell my dog toy. No, that's going too far. But it's going too far in the other direction. And then you get people that are getting so specific, they're limiting their list of potential licensees. So that's one big thing. Don't do that. Um, the other way that people limit their list of potential licensees is the limiting the retailers. Like I was on with a student. Some of you guys have heard the story before, but I was on with a student of ours and um, I'm on the West Coast, they're on the East Coast. It was a sporting good product. And we just said, you know, I rattle off the name of a few uh, sporting good retailers near where I live and they rattle off a few. And I'm like, I haven't even heard a few of those and they hadn't heard a few that I brought up. And I'm like, well, let's look it up. Now it's not always as easy. And I looked up list of major US sporting good retailers. I found a freaking Wikipedia article that had like a ton of sporting good retailers, a lot of which neither him nor I had heard of. Now, if you limit your list of potential licensees, because you don't license to the retailer, you license to the company that sells to the retailer, right? You license to the brands that are in the retailer. So if he had just gone with the three, oh, these are the sporting goods stores near me, I'll go in stores and I'll look online, he would be limiting his list substantially. So now when I Googled it, I found a Wikipedia article that listed tons of sporting good retailers, neither of which a bunch of us have a seen. He needed to go on all those retailer sites. So those are a couple mistakes that, that people make. Um, there's a ton of other ones. There's so many mistakes people make when making their list of companies. Some of it is like, even with this stuff that I just told you, like you, some of it, you kind of, you need a coach to go, okay, you're going to look here. You're going to look there. You're going to think outside the box here and there. Um, and then other times you don't. But um, sometimes you really need extra guidance on that, I've found. Um, okay, we do have a new service called All Access. If you go to our website and click on services and then all services, you'll see All Access, where we actually make the list of potential licensees for you. That's pretty cool uh, service, that's new. So that's something that you could take a look at. All right, let's see what, um, uh, Mike said, what will you do in order? The PPA virtual prototype and sell sheet question mark. You got it backwards. So first of all, you do your market research. Whenever you come up with an idea, you should do your market research. You should get on Google images, other tools that we give you, and you should do, you should look at everything in the micro category of your invention. So in the micro category here is wallets that stick to um, cell phones. So look at all the wallets that stick to cell phones or any wallets on cell phones, okay? And so you wanna study that micro category, figure out how your product fits in, okay? So that's the, the first step you always do when you come up with an idea. Problem is a lot of people don't do that. They don't know how to do it, they don't do it. And then the longer they've been thinking about, the more in love they fall with the product and then they become afraid of seeing what is really in the marketplace. But guess what? If you show it to a marketing manager, they know what's in the space. You can't like be a horse with blinders on and just pretend, well, I don't see that, I don't see that. And just that's that's just gonna waste a massive amount of your time and money. And now a lot of inventors do that. You'd be surprised. So don't don't be that inventor. But you need to do your research first. And then you need to make uh, your list of companies. And then you need to make your sell sheet, maybe virtual prototype. And then the very last thing you do before you start calling companies is filing your provisional patent application. Because a lot of times when you're making your list of companies, you're making your sell sheet, you come across things you weren't aware of before. And you might want to change what's in your provisional patent application. So that's why it's the very last thing you do before you start publicly, not publicly, privately reaching out to companies. Okay. So that's a good question, Mike. Um, people are so doing that in the wrong order. So I love that question. Um, Mysterious Me said, hopefully I become a student in one day. Wow. One, oh, one day. Sorry, not in one day. I was going to go. I was very specific. One day. Just trying to make money from basically nothing but my idea right now. LOL. 
hey man, you 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 can't you can't do this with no money guys, but you you that wasn't your your comment really, mysterious me, but um you can do it with very little, but you can't do it with no money. So nice people go, well, I can't afford $75 for a provisional. And I'm like, you you need to get your financial house in order if you can't do, you know. But but yeah, you could pitch a product and spend less than eh, two, three, four hundred bucks. Absolutely, you can. Um, but if you like can't afford $75, like you need to get your finances in order so you're not so stressed. And then sometimes people that are, we don't cater to this kind of crowd or do this kind of marketing, but like, when people when people think they're like they're going to make a ton of money it's going to happen super quick i go no that's not licensing you could license something today and you're probably not going to see significant money for a year but it could be really significant money because these companies are large and i always joke you can have delusions of grandeur and you're not delusional because for them to sell you know 20 50 000, half a million units that's normal for them and you're getting a royalty on every one but realize that machine takes a while. They got to plug it in their system. They got to get it maybe manufactured somewhere. They got to bring it in and they got to get the salespeople. Start. It takes a while to get that into play. So to think that you're going to make a ton of money like super quickly, that's not the way licensing works. And, and if you don't like that, then don't do licensing. But the people that there are other things where you can make like a little bit of money and like you could take some course on this or that. You could have a little few bucks coming in here or there. But with licensing, you're going for the bigger the, the bigger payoff, right? And it takes a while for that to pay off. So I always tell people when they're interested in a program, I'm like, you're not going to, we're not going to teach you to sell you a little here on Etsy or eBay or something like that. You're in a little bit of money. It's like going to be a bunch of money usually or nothing at all you know, for each project. That's the way licensing works. Um, and that's what most of you envision for your product. You envision it to be selling in, in decent volume. Um, you know, most of you don't want to sell, oh, I'll sell 50 units myself a month or even 500 or something like that. Now, now if you want to do that, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with starting a micro business and selling something. So don't feel like I'm beating anybody up that wants to do that. Um, but if you want to go bigger, licensing is a way to think really big. And you're not being delusional. Like for your for you to sell half a million units, and you know with this one product is unrealistic. Now now you can start a business, but retailers won't take you very seriously with one product. You got to have a whole line. But when you license to a company that has a whole line, that might be realistic for that particular company, right? Um, and, and again, I'm not saying either that you can't start a business and sell it yourself. But we're talking that's you're talking there like two three years you know, of, of brutal work and dumping everything else you're doing and risking your finances and, and, and sacrificing your personal life and all sorts of other things. And there's nothing wrong with running a business, but when you're licensing, you don't have to do that. Um, but you still have to do the work. Um, <laughs> this is funny. Uh, Streaming now says that's their handle. Does getting Kramered? I think he's talking about um, uh, uh, Steinfeld, that TV show. Like if you showed up with an idea for the beach, then they come up with the ocean. How often does that happen? You know, I thought I've seen all the episodes, and I probably saw that episode. I just don't remember it, so I'm not getting that joke. But let's let's try to break this down. Like if you showed up with an idea for the beach, okay, like flip flops or something or a new towel, and then they come up with the ocean. How often does that happen? I can't really comment on that. It's a little bit too general. It's funny, though, so I appreciate the, the humor. Um, uh, you know, I don't know. What, what I'll say is when you come up with something, you're going to study the space that's currently right now today in the marketplace. What's the micro category? What else is selling that space? And then you're validating whether or not it makes sense, and then you're going to move forward. Now, this perception that somebody else is going to come up with the same thing in the six months I'm spending reaching out to companies, I just don't see that happening. I, I can't recall that happening to one of our students. Could it happen? Yes. Um, I don't know if that's your direct question, but because um, I, I have to go back and watch the episode to really understand the context. Um, mysterious me, ideas of solving problems and making people happier with products. You know, I, I like that you said that. 
you know, we've been doing this for 23 years. So I can tell you that the the best inventors, which is most inventors that come to us, probably 95% of inventors that come to us, they're very passionate about their ideas. And them wanting to get their product in the space, wanting them to express themselves um, creatively, and wanting people to enjoy their products comes before making money. Now, I, I'm not... People want to make money. I'm not saying they don't. But when you're passionate about what you do, is a total cliche. The money will come. And I think that's so true with inventing. If you just want the money and you're not, and but I don't meet inventors like this very often. Once in a while, I'm like, well, I'm not an inventor, Andrew, but I want, I'm like, well, that's, that's fine. But I'm excited about learning. I'm like, okay, great. But when people are just into the money and they're not into the actual process and they don't like into creating and making something that people can enjoy when you do what you love the money will come total cliche but it's so so true of inventing so i kind of bumbled around on that a little bit but you get the ideas the idea and i can tell you from observing inventors for 23 years at invent right and 14 years in my inventors group that you do you do what you love you you invent and you make the effort to monetize it by trying to license it, the money will come. Now, with all that said, most of inventing and licensing is not inventing. It's not coming up with the idea. Most of it is just like sweeping the floor. It's like boring stuff that inventors don't know how to do, but once you know how to do, it's boring. Reaching out to companies, making sure you have a decent, decent sell sheet, filing a provisional patent, making your list of companies. 90% of it is boring crap that's not nearly as exciting about coming up with a new idea. Once you accept that you have to do that and you have no freaking choice, but it's so much better than starting a business and risking all your money and quitting your day job and doing all that or your other business, whatever it is you're doing. Once you realize that you need to make that effort and you accept that, but that's a... That's a hard transition to follow. Now, just the fact that you guys are listening to me today shows that you're at least somewhat ready for that or thinking about it. But if you don't make that transition and you don't accept the fact that you have to do work. Now, the beautiful thing about licensing is once you license it, it's their money, it's their workforce, and it's their distribution. You move on to something else. You can you can you could take a break for a couple months. You could try licensing three or four more products. You do whatever the hell you want. You're not tied up in that business. Nobody's going to yell at you and say, where's my paycheck? Where's my order? You know, that's all on them. And if they don't perform, you get it back. So it's a beautiful thing, but it doesn't mean you don't have to do any work. You know, um, you know, I, I watched, uh, I, I used to, I used to hate America's Got Talent and these different like talent shows and singing shows and stuff. And my daughter's 10 and I watch a lot of YouTube on the TV. I'm a YouTube addict because I'm a learning addict. But we also do some entertainment. And we got into, I got really into watching people on America's Got Talent, um, uh, do mostly singing stuff. And there was this guy last night we were watching. He was doing acoustic guitar. And it's just beautiful. And they were just like, the judges were just like, it's a lot of drama, right? And it's like half the stuff set up and all that. But, you know, what you can't fake is talent. And what you can't fake is like their their family like sitting there like crying like because they're so proud of it. There's certain things you can't fake. So that's that's what I like about the show. I d used to didn't like it because I thought it was fake. And then and then I got I got into it. And but what the, what I wanted to share with share with you is there was this guy who was he was extremely talented and was singing and he was playing the guitar. He also played the piano. And they asked him, um, you know you know, if he thought he was special, I think that's what they said. He said, I don't, I don't think I'm special. I think I'm just a hard worker. And I can tell you from observing inventors, inventors that think they're special because they're so creative, but they're not a hard worker like this guy was, will not make it. The ones that are hard workers will make it. And the hard work is the boring stuff. Like if I had, if, if inventors were horses, I'm being silly here, guys. And I had an inventor that, oh my God, that's such a cool product. And and he half-assed the effort in reaching out. And then I got another inventor over here, they're, they're the horse. And, and they had, yeah, so, so idea, it has a benefit, but it's not blowing anybody's mind. And they really did the work. They reached out to tons of companies and kept following up and following through. The great job with the sell sheet. They will license way before the inventor with a great idea that doesn't do the work. So you have to have a work ethic to do this, which is an ironic thing to say because you're like, but Andrew, 
I don't need to start a company. I don't need to have a you need to have a work ethic to close the deal and then you're done. But you need to have the work work ethic to get there, to get out in front of companies. So I was just so impressed with this guy. He's so humble. He's like, I, I don't think I'm that great. I think there's better singers and writers. I just think I'm a hard worker. And then I started to think about like probably the countless hours that he spent practicing guitar and singing. And maybe there was a point at which he was pretty poor. I don't know. I mean, he was so amazing. It's hard to imagine, but he was probably. And so you guys need to do the same thing. So hopefully that that's that was that little story there inspired you guys. Um, Melvin said, hey, Andrew, if I made... Okay, if I made a new cheaper way to make an existing product and made the machine to do it with, how do I license that? Okay, if I made a new cheaper way to make an existing product and made a machine to do it with, well, you could you could patent you can patent a method of manufacturing and you could patent the machine as well. And that's going to have you in a really good place. You could patent the product itself, you could patent a method of manufacturing, you could patent the machine. Um, now, if a company can make products on existing machinery, that's always best. When a company has to invest $100,000, $200,000 in a new machine, then it's harder to sell. Are they going to want to take that risk, right? So you have to ask your, yourself that question. Uh, Mike said, uh, the LLC university you mentioned makes you get an LLC for free or very cheap fee, question mark. No, LLC, so for those of you that, you know, when you get into a deal, we always advise you do an LLC when you have um, limited liability company or a corporation, but LLC is easier. Um, you never do the contract under your own name. So I gave a reference on a prior live stream that LLC University, I forget, I forget what his name is, I think his last name is Horowitz, but if you go to LLCUniversity.com, really cool guy, he's very much invent right, you know, type of uh, approach in that. He's got a website and you choose your state and then it gives you very specific instruction on how to file an LLC. And he had mentioned, which I'm aware of, there's a lot of people like, how do I file my LLC? And you end up with some website, you go down a rabbit hole of them trying to trick you to buy their service. And last time I checked, um, LLC University didn't do that because he's a really cool dude. I think they have, okay, if you don't want to do it, you, you looked at it, you don't want to do it, they have like a service that you can use, but they're not really pushing it. I really like that. So. He's educating people to be empowered to file their own LLC. So yeah, that's LLC University. I don't know what your question is. Um, yeah, it's for free. Yeah. So now you can file it for free, but you got to pay whatever uh, yearly dues there are for LLCs in your state, and that can vary dramatically from like 20 bucks to a thousand dollars, depending on the state you're in. But if you go to LLC University and then you select your state, it will tell you what the fees are for your state but they don't charge you to file it for you. There's people that do services. They're like, oh, I don't know how to do that. And then, you know, they'll charge you to, to do it, but it's pretty damn easy in most states. I did it myself. If I can do it, you guys can do it. Um, uh, I don't know what this is. Crypto Cakes Cartel. Okay. Well, that's a suspect name. Uh, but, uh, but you know, I think you should package it up for people and act as the middle name for a free fee. I don't know what that means. I don't know if he's saying we should become an invention promotion company. That's a slippery slope. No, we're never going to do that in a million years. Um, uh, if you look for a company to license your product for you, I've, I've, I haven't met inventors that have gotten that done. But I talk to people every day that get taken for 10 or 12 grand doing that. This is companies three, four, five grand too. Okay, so if you aren't willing to do the work to license your invention, you're going to end up with a sea of shysters. And if you don't know how to sniff that out, you're going to get scammed. Definitely. So now I'm talking about companies that claim to help inventors. I'm not talking about the companies you license to. I've never had a single one of our students in 23 years that I'm aware of that um, had a their potential licensee that they try to license it to then later steal their idea and not pay them. I'm not aware of a single one of our students. Now, the world I'm talking about is the world, new inventors, I'm green, I got a great idea, whatever. And there's all these companies that go, oh, well, we'll do that for a fee. And it kind of makes sense for somebody that's new. But when you look at the track record of these companies, it's it's abysmal. And, and the Federal Trade Commission and the Patent Office tries to warn again these companies, but sorry, against these companies, I'm talking too fast. 
Um, but there's an endless list of green inventors ready to be taken advantage of. So don't fall into that trap. Um, there's one um, there's one good website that's kind of a jumping off point, inventorfraud.com, inventorfraud.com. And it has kind of jumping off points to the FTC and other sites. So you might check that out. If you're like, oh, I'm not buying it, Andrew. Like, I know this company's going to license it for me. You know, it's like, okay. Um, <laughs> Mysterious Me said, Oops, I paged up too quick. I strongly dislike wasting money and time. Well, yeah, I could give you guys, I could give you, that's that would be a funny YouTube show. I should do that YouTube show. I'm like, I should be like, here's how you can waste, it's just reversing it. I've done the show in reverse. But um, here's how you can waste tremendous amounts of money and time as an inventor. It could be kind of like a bit of a parody. Um, I, I don't like coming across as really sarcastic, though, so maybe I won't do that. But um, if I'm clear about it up front and then I'm joking about it, it could be a good learning experience. That might be a YouTube show I do. Um, later this week, we should have a YouTube show coming out with one of our coaches, April. I interviewed her about a product she just licensed, so that should be cool. Um, it, a lot of our coaches are licensing products, but I don't like invite. You need to invite them more to come on and talk about um, their experience in licensing their own products as well. Um, William says, uh, it seems that becoming a product developer versus being the workforce, being the workforce involves not trying to get rich quick, but putting in the work to become a different person entirely. You know, I, I've had a lot of our students that said, you know, licensing has changed them. Engineers that never thought they could reach out to a company. They're like, well, I don't like it, but I'll do it now. I'm like, wow. And they were really resistant to it. Um, some even like it. Um, I've had people say it changed their life. It gave them confidence to do things they didn't think was possible. So um, I think that's uh, that's cool. Um, yeah. uh, William, I personally think we're already different. We're just trying to bring it to light. I really want to work for myself and not just any business, but creative business. That's great. You know, and and. You know, it's perfectly fine to make it your goal to um, license products for a living, but I will always give yourself two to three years. Like you could license a product, maybe let's just fictitious scenario. Let's say it's earning 100K in royalties. You never know when those royalties may drop off. You never know when that product may be not relevant anymore. So if, if you're, especially if you're only a source of income for your family or you need a certain amount of income, I would always have like two products set up maybe even three before you quit your day job and your other income sources. And that can take a little while to get there, but you can totally get there. Um, hmm. Hi, Andrew, what makes a uh, great InventRight students from Hill Dog? Um, yeah, huh. I'd say uh, transparency, uh, honesty, work ethic. Um, being really trans, when you're working with, a coach being really transparent when you're upset with something. So, cause if you're not upset with something, you're not doing the work. Cause when you're new to this, things will upset you. And if you share it with your coach, your coach is like, mm, yeah, I get it. People feel like that sometimes. Okay. We're going to deal with that like this and like this. So just being really transparent and saying it when you, when you, when you're upset with something. Um, I think also sharing, uh, sharing with your coach and all those little victories because your friends and family they don't know what the small victories to climb the mountain are but the coach really understands it so is celebrating with your coach those little victories on, along the way like you got your first interest from a company um you made your first sell sheet you filed your first ppa you came up with a new idea and did a kick-ass job researching it and the coach is like wow you did great like this gives me all the info we can make a decision together doing celebrating those little victories are very important and it makes the process just that much more fun um only being happy when you're at the top of the mountain with a licensing deal or money in the bank i think that's the wrong attitude i think enjoy the process and then you'll keep working the process and then eventually you'll license something you know um so those are just a few tips i can give up a, a whole more I, when i talk to uh, some new invent right students i have a whole like 10 minute spiel on that, but I won't go into all that. Um, hmm. Raphael said, I'm more excited about the invention than I'm about the money. And and I think a lot of inventors are, they're not conscious of it, but I know they are because I've been doing this forever and a day. Um, but you do what you love, the money will come. 
So that's good. That's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. Um, let's see. I was kind of find somebody new. I have the next big one for smiley face. Paul says, I do not know what that means. <laughs> um, let's see. Serious me said, um, three different people have came up with ideas that I thought of. Uh, one was from Pakistan, the other in Japan, and the other in Europe. They had money to get it started, LOL. Yeah, you know, if you if you come up with good ideas and you're observing the marketplace, you're going to notice that people will come out with the ideas you came up with because you didn't act quickly enough. And that gets uh, some people lights a fire under their butt to get going with their projects. Um, that validates you have good ideas. So when you guys see products come out, well, you can come up with an idea, you didn't do anything, and then years later, you're like, oh, that's it. That was my idea. It should validate that you have good ideas. And I hear inventors tell me that all the time. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, let's see. You know, I was, I was, um, I was talking about America's Got Talent that I watched those shows on YouTube with my 10-year-old daughter and, and my wife and and how I was inspired by this one singer that said, I don't think I'm that talented, even though he was. I I just feel like I work hard. Um, it's almost getting me choked up to think about that because it's, I, I think that you need to have a work ethic if you're going to do this, guys. You can't just have ideas. And I really respect people. You know, I'm the, I'm the son of a German immigrant, and then I'm only second generation on my mom's side. So, it, you know, just by watching my dad and watching my family, and my, my, my dad was an entrepreneur, my aunt was an entrepreneur, that's all I knew. And I was inspired, you know. And the work ethic that immigrants have and entrepreneurs have, and so I mean, your family has, um, is, is really inspirational. And I think sometimes people lose that. They get lazy. They want to do the get rich quick crap. And hey, I'm not against making money fast, but don't don't go to somebody that's schlocking you a course telling you they're gonna get rich. That's never gonna work, okay? Finding some shortcuts that are valid shortcuts, that are real shortcuts that work. I mean, a lot of InventRight is, is eliminating all the BS that you don't need to do, focusing on the things you do need to do and cutting out um your misperceptions you know and getting rid of all those you know a lot of the road bumps so so i'm all for that but you still need to have a work ethic you can you can take you can take short i don't like to use shortcuts you can be smart about it you know uh but you still have to have a work ethic so it's very very important to have a work ethic um uh da -da. Serious me said, I'm willing to do the work because I don't want to get scammed. Hey, whatever motivates you, man. Um, but if you look for somebody to license your product for you, you're, you're going to get scammed. Guaranteed. If you're willing to reach out to real companies and try to license it yourself, you'll be fine. And you'll know exactly what they're saying. You know, I've had people that go to invention promotion companies and they're like, well, they won't they won't tell me who they're reaching out to. I'm like, really? Or they they could even give you a few companies. Some of them do. You could call the gatekeeper. How would they remember? They get 200 calls a day if the, if the company even called. And a lot of these companies are just spamming um, companies that aren't even a right match for the product. It's it's really ridiculous. So yeah, be willing to do the work or just throw in the towel on licensing right now. Um, My two cents said, now that I've been an event student and see what's possible, I'm coming up with more ideas quicker. That's great. Yeah, you know, um, I, I found that our students, when they work on their second project or maybe uh, third, they get less emotional about it and more business-like about it and way faster at everything. I mean, when I see people work on their second or third project, it's two to five times faster and they're more decisive and they're more business-like less less like oh i just like this idea and more like well let's analyze it let's look at the market let's see if it fits in let's make some changes and and i'm really proud um of our coaches and our students that we can get people to that point and it sounds like my two cents feels like they're at that point so that's amazing um now last one that we're going to call it a night daniel said there is always room for improvement at what stage would you say that the idea is 
good enough and need to stop thinking further and put the product in the market. So as long as you have a point of difference with the other products that are out there, I think you're, 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 you're ready. Um, as long as you have a decent point of difference that you think a percentage of people would purchase. Um, I want to uh, remind you guys that there's a lot of free resources on inventright.com. And um, if you're interested in coaching, you can go to InventRight, click on Contact Us, book a call with, uh, with Sylvia or Dana. They're both super friendly and talk about our programs. And if you down below, if you could, as a thank you to me, click on the um, subscribe button. I, I have my thumbs up, so I have a thumbs up button. But click on subscribe, click on the notification button, um, and watch our YouTube videos. Give us a thumbs up. And I'll remind you guys, take care and keep inventing. See you guys. Bye.